0: Hello, my friends, welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us. And today I'm going to talk to you about hope for the poor. Ecclesiastes 4 says, and in is writing, he's just reflecting about a truth when he says, you know, I looked out, I saw all the oppressed and all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed that they have no comforter power was on the side of the oppressors and they had no comforter you know inside of us there's this inner voice that tells us that things should be fair well i tell my kids and one of the first lessons i wanted them to learn is that life is not fair but we do the best we can to make it fair I mean, that's why we love sports, because there's referees, and they tell us when an infraction is taking place. There's judges in courtrooms, and they tell us when something is right or when something is wrong. And then we serve God of the universe, and he tells us there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong. But because we are sinful people, we battle. And there's really two conflicting truths about life's unfairness that really drives us crazy. Right? The first truth is no matter how hard we try, we're never gonna fix all the problems of the world. And life is always gonna have an element of being unfair. For example, Jesus said, You will always have the poor among you. Poverty will never be completely eliminated. But that doesn't mean we don't try to make a difference. Uh, We strive to make a difference. There's another conflict that we face. The second conflict, when it comes to this matter of truth, is that life is always going to be unfair, but God doesn't seem to matter. He causes us people to work at it. And yes, life is always going to be unfair. And it seems like God allows a certain level of unfairness because of the sinfulness of people, but then he calls us to try to do something about it, to try to fix it. There's a story told of a man who had seen an injustice in his city. And in frustration, he cries out to God, why don't you do something about this? And God's voice came to him and he said, I did, I sent you. In Deuteronomy, we learn that the poor people there in that land, they were having issues, but he was commanding his people, God's people, to provide for those needs. Proverbs 14, 21 says, blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 22, 9 says, and a generous man will himself be blessed if he shares his food with the poor. In fact, there is such an important matter for God that he promises us that if we are being kind to the poor, we're actually lending to the Lord and he will reward us for what we have done. There's also a warning in Proverbs 21, verse number 13. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. In other words, if you turn your back on the poor, God will turn his back on you. Well, why can't he fix it all? Ecclesiastes 4 4 says, I saw that all labor, all achievement springs from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You know what enviousness is all about? Envious people look at their neighbors and what they have, and, and it makes them dissatisfied with what they have. So their labor and their achievement is always about getting more of what the other guy has. And because there is this driving passion, envious people end up hurting themselves or others in their blind pursuit of more. You remember, of course you remember the tragedy that took place on September 11, 2001, when the Islamic terrorists took airplanes and murdered thousands of innocent people. Every airplane in America was grounded. This was for an obvious safety measure to deal with a threat that we didn't even uh, realize we had, and we didn't even understand the depths of the threat that we have. But can you imagine that action and how much it hurt the airline industry? In fact, there was only one big carrier that was still making money the following year, Southwest Airlines, although they were still making about half of what they had made the year before. All the other airlines were swimming in red ink and either had declared bankruptcy or were seriously considering it because their creditors were still demanding that they pay their debts. So in an atmosphere where most airlines were struggling to survive, Southwest Airline employees had relatively job security, and yet some of their workers were involved in working with their union, threatening to sue... Their employer suing for higher wages. Why? Because comparable employees in one of the other airlines that were failing were making more per hour than they did. You think about that. How could that happen? It was a dissatisfaction. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. This verse speaks about the detrimental effects of envy and the benefits of having a peaceful heart in contrast. We're told in Galatians 5:26 not to be overcome by being conceited, not provoking one another, not envying one another. You see this verse warns us against engaging in behaviors such as envy and, and that that desire to have something that belongs to somebody else. Proverbs 23:17 tells us that we should not envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. This verse encourages us to stay focused on God and not influenced by the actions of those around us who are living in sin. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 where there is jealousy and selfish ambition there's also going to be disorder in every vile practice this verse speaks of the destructive power of jealousy and selfish ambition proverbs 14:30 tells us that a sound heart is life to the body but envy is rottenness to the bones this verse speaks of the destructive power of envy and the benefits of a peaceful heart James reminds us in James 3.16, for envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, and every evil thing is there. Now, this verse reminds us against the danger of envy and self-seeking, which can lead to all kinds of evil. Solomon realized there is a second reason that will lead to poverty. He talks about the fact that we want something that belongs to somebody else, but a second reason that we can become driven to poverty is because some people are just plain lazy. Ecclesiastes four says that the fool will fold his hands and it will ruin his life because he's lazy proverbs six ten and eleven says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and Like a scarcity of an unarmed man. There was a medical study that was done not too long ago by the BBC. And it said whether slim or fat, a person leading a sedentary lifestyle has similar chances of dying young than that of a smoker. Statistically, every week spent in inactivity is roughly equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes. Inactivity in children leads to obesity and reduced academic performance across all socioeconomic classes. In other words, we've got to get up. We've got to move. The BBC noticed that it's not just our health, but also our wealth that laziness affects. Inactivity among working adults leads to increased time off from work and decreased productivity. So Solomon is looking around, and he notices that many poor people are poor because they're too lazy to get off the couch. They'd much rather prefer a handout than a workout. Now, that's not what should be the case. Solomon is pointing out that you can't fix everything in life. You can't remove all of the poverty in the world. There's way too much greed. There's way too much envy out there. And there's there's some who are just too lazy to fix it. So let's not lose our focus. Maybe a better way to look at this is by this illustration that was given back in the 1900s. There was a church that was a powerful church in Manhattan. It was called the Broadway Presbyterian Church. It was very committed in reaching out to people and not just reaching out to their physical needs but also their spiritual needs to help them by having food kitchens. And and these were some tools that they would use. They would bring the poor in off the streets. They would have prayer for the food. They would talk about sin. They would talk about the need to change lifestyles. And you know what? It worked. People's lives were changed. They began coming to the church and, and they began digging their way out of poverty from the 1960s to the 1990s, a very subtle change began to take place. The soup kitchens' prayers were no longer offered over the meals because they were afraid they might offend the poor. And then they no longer tried to convince the homeless to turn to God and to repent of their sins. And they thought, well, that might drive away the very people they're trying to feed. But over time, they found that the same people were coming through the lines year after year after year. There was no change that was taking place in their lives. The church gradually began to slip with a membership of a 1,000 people down to 120 people. This church now is sitting nearly empty. You see, there's one major drawback of social justice, that they don't want to offend people, that they want to help. So they don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to go on record as being against certain lifestyles, against homosexuality, against abortion, or against living together because they might offend people that are trying to help. Now, when Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, but you will not have me with you always, the scene is very clear. The scene is of a man who is in a few days Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried in a tomb. A woman who is there hears that Jesus is there, and so she comes and she pours very expensive perfume on his head. When Jesus appeared to his disciples on the mountain, just before going up to heaven, he gave them their marching orders. He told them what their priorities should be. This is what he said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is very clear that we're to make disciples of all nations we are to teach them what it means to be a disciple. In Acts chapter 5, we discover that there's pressure coming against the church that is just getting started in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, they were given strict orders not to teach in this name. That is the name of Jesus. They were ticked off because they had filled Jerusalem with the teachings And they were determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, the disciples were too honest in proclaiming the gospel. They said that Jesus was crucified by those sinners. All of us were involved in his crucifixion. There are people there that were poor, but nobody was as poor as what Jesus was. He became poverty to identify with those who are poor. You know, when we think about this, Everybody knows the ending of certain catchphrases. For example, if I say, Six and stones, you know the rest. Six and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Just saying that phrase, six and stones, is enough for you to catch my drift. It just so happens that in that saying, the poor you will have with you always, Jesus is quoting. Another well-known biblical phrase, a well-known phrase from the Jewish Torah. Everyone hearing him back then would have caught the drift. Here is the full original quote, and it's found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let me read the whole quote. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, and if any of your towns within your land That the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your hearts, you shall not shut your hand against a poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. You shall lend to him sufficient for his need, whether it may be, for the poor you will have with you always in the land. Therefore I command you, you should open your hand wide to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in the land. So just reading Jesus' word here in the original context, you can see that his words were meant to spur generosity toward the poor. Open wide your hand, the command is given. It's not apathy toward the poor. It's not being tight-fisted toward the poor. It's being generous to the poor because the poor you will have with you always. Make sure that we complete that sentence. Therefore, I command you... You should open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. So Jesus is not saying, you're going to have the poor with you always. Don't worry about it. Don't do anything about it. He's saying just the opposite. You will have the poor with you always. Therefore, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in the land. Now, the second thing to note about this story is that Jesus says these words to rebuke Judas, who is a scoundrel, right, towards this woman who is pouring out this perfume on Jesus. John 12, 6, it says that Judas really wasn't caring about the poor. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He didn't rebuke this extravagant gift that was poured on Jesus because he Was so concerned about the poor. We learned that he did this because he was a thief. He was a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. See, we peel back and we see there's a sinister reason why Judas makes this statement. He wanted his perfume to be sold so that money could be given to him. Oh, yeah, he would use some to feed the poor, but most of it was to help himself. So when Jesus uses these words, they were to care about the poor, he's actually repeating what is the reason behind our intention to help the poor. And so as you see Jesus talking about this prophecy being fulfilled in himself, we see that Jesus is here giving us reason why we should reach out and to help those who are poor. You know, when I think about the opportunities that God places before us, God uses us in a very special way to help those who are the least among us. And the most important way in which we help them is not just providing their physical needs. Oh, we're to do that. But also to have a big dream of how we can help them spiritually. You know, in 2006, there was a survey done with a thousand adults and they wanted to discover what the most people spend their time and how quickly we lose our patience. He said, now, on average, it takes us 17 minutes to lose our patience when we're waiting in line. Also, most people lose their patience in only nine minutes while on the phone on hold. You see, impatience is a common trait. Have you found yourself impatient? With those who are poor? Have you found yourself impatient with those who don't seem to get the significance of the message of the gospel? I want to remind you of something. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has been able to imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Those who love Him. You know, psychologists tell us if you really want to live, You have to learn to dream. You've got to have a dream in your life that is bigger than you are. Because if you don't have a dream for what God has planned for our future, you're just going to go through life existing. There's a good way to live a life and there's a better way to live a life. You got to look at God's dream for your life. God loves you so much that he gives you a big dream of what he wants to take place in your life. So Paul reminds us, that we cannot imagine what God has prepared for us. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is our imagination. The ability to imagine is one of the things that makes humans different from animals. You know, your dog is not going to imagine how his life can become better. He's not going to imagine the future being better because he's only living for the nasty now and now. You see, God made us in His image. And part of that is that God gave us His ability to imagine. It was Napoleon who said, Imagination rules the world. Einstein said, Imagination is more important than knowledge. Dream about winning the lottery? Well, God has even bigger plans than that. Dreaming of the perfect body, the perfect spouse, the perfect house? Listen, God's dream for your life is bigger. In Mark 9, 23, it says, everything is possible to those who believe. Paul says God's power that's working within us can do much, much more than anybody could ask or even imagine. So for today and tomorrow, I want you to imagine how God can use you. We're going to be looking at the book of Joshua, the power of an imagination. After the death of Moses in Joshua chapter 1, we learn that Moses is dead. The servant of God died, but God speaks to Joshua, Moses' assistant, and God gives Moses some very important instructions to pass on to Joshua. So let's pick up the story in Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, and God says, "Moses is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead, but get going. So I imagine here that Joshua is saying, "Um you're talking to me, God? You want me to get us going where and God says, "Yeah, yeah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to cross the Jordan River." You and all of the people, which I imagine Joshua probably says, all of us? Uh, you mean uh, Moses couldn't pull this off and, and we tried, but but now you want us to go now at this time? Uh, did you know that uh, that the Jordan is in flood stage? Oh yeah, I know that. Cross into the country. I'm going to give you the people of Israel. I'm going to give you every square inch of the land, every square inch that you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. Uh, You know, God, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, the giants are still there. And uh, and our giant is dead. Moses is dead. Well, you know that. You just told me, uh, how far do you want us to go into the land? why would we want to take this land now anyways? Is there really a need for us to have it? Is it really worth it? So God continues, from the wilderness to this Lebanon east, to that great river, the river Euphrates, all the Hittite country and all that is west of the great sea, it's all yours. Well, I imagine Joshua was thinking, certainly don't mean me, maybe part, right? No, no, Josh, all of it. You're to take all of it. As we think about this wonderful plan that God had for Joshua, I want you to join me tomorrow as we talk about the power of an imagination, how God could use you beyond your wildest imaginations. And so we're going to talk about how we can move forward and how we can claim the vision, and the dream that God has for us. So join me tomorrow on the broadcast as we talk about the power of an imagination. Until then, Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to help those who are less fortunate. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to fulfill the plan that you have for our lives. May we go in your peace and may we go in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, my friends, if I can pray for you today, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. I so look forward to talking with you tomorrow. The number one more time is 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at thirty-three twenty Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 AM and ten thirty AM. We'd love for you to join us. For more information,